Hello, my name is Tim Schwartz and welcome to the Life After Blindness Spotlight. This is the podcast where we highlight someone or something related to the blind and visually impaired community. This week, I discuss CSUN 2018, the future of Braille and the future of wearable devices with JJ Meadow and Sean Priest. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Life After Blindness Spotlight. You can get more information about this show and everything having to do with Life After Blindness by visiting the website. That's lifeafterblindness.com. And if you have questions or comments, you can send your emails to tim at lifeafterblindness.com. As many of you know, I co-host alongside Stephen Scott and Sean Priest on two other blindness-related podcasts. One of those is a technology show that premieres each week on AMI-audio in Canada called Double Tap Canada. Recently, Sean and I had the privilege of speaking with JJ Meadow from the Blind Bargains website and podcast about the CSUN Assistive Technology Conference that was held earlier this year. As you'll hear in a moment, our conversation with JJ turned out to be so much more than just a review of CSUN 2018. So, alongside Double Tap co-host Sean Priest, here is our interview with J.J. Meadow about CSUN 2018, the possible resurgence of Braille, and the future of wearable devices for the blind and visually impaired. Tim has brought a friend along. Tim, uh, tell us more about your guest this week. Well, why don't I go ahead and just let him introduce himself, because we've talked a little about him already. We are joined this week by J.J. Meadow from Blind Bargains. Welcome to the show, J.J. Hey, how's it going? Great to be here. Appreciate you being here and uh, talking to us about CSUN this week. We had a few different uh, things come out of CSUN this year. Nothing that was probably groundbreaking or big news, but there were things that we definitely want to cover and talk about. And I guess we'll just go right to it, put you on the spot and tell me what you think was probably best in show or just something that was really the, the most fascinating thing at the show this year. Well, I wasn't really ready for that question, but all right, I guess we can come up with something. Here. No, honestly, um, one of the big things out of this show, and it's not a new thing, but it's also a thing that's close to now being ready, is the Canute. I know we've talked about that a little bit. You guys have on the show. The multi-line Braille display, or if you will, the Kindle for the Blind from Bristol Braille over in the UK. We saw this thing a couple years ago in an earlier prototype where, honestly... I knew it was going to work out, but there were lots of dots that weren't coming up as expected, which for Braille is kind of an important thing to actually have the dots that you need for the Braille. Of course. Um, they're up to prototype. I believe it's 13 now. And this one was rocking, doing lots of stuff. Nine lines, 40 cells per line. So 360 cells for under a couple grand. So do that quick calculation for $5 a cell. That's a lot cheaper than any Braille that's out there. It's a little bit different than... Traditional Braille displays that we're used to seeing, uh, for one, it kind of prints out like an embosser. So you don't have all 360 cells coming up at once. They kind of print out line by line by line. But while it's doing that, you can read it. So it really works out for uh, multi-line text. Lots of things like math problems, musical scores, um, you know, baseball stats or, you know, we're in Canada, hockey stats. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I said it's, it's an interesting thing that multi-line display. I mean, is I think am I right in saying this is the first time we've seen a multi-line braille display? Yeah, um, you know, at least as far as production grade, there may have been some attempts way back when, but anything that would have been attempted multi-line in the past would have been crazy, crazy expensive. So obviously that wasn't going to work out. 
So bringing the cost down to create Braille is the thing that we would need to actually have a multi-line display that is not only usable, but also affordable as well. And that's a really big point here with the Canute. Now, I do want to say real quick, you guys maybe at Blind Bargains didn't get the memo that we keep getting seemingly every day about not calling it the Kindle Braille display. Um, <laughs> we just I don't know about that. But anyway, um, got to throw I've heard them say it, but, you know, maybe there's some sort of a, a <laughs> maybe it's just trademark. us. Maybe it's just <laughs> us. You know, and, and, and honestly, you're right, though. That, that kind of does it a, a little bit of a disservice because it, it does a little more than just e-reading and the types of things that you can put on it are really quite a bit. The One of the things I liked about it as well, it's not there yet, but they are talking to, and they've had some discussions with these screen reader companies. And how do you make this work with JAWS or with NVDA? Because, you know, screen readers now, they're not designed to use with a 360-cell Braille display. So that's a, a new and unique challenge that'll be really fun for them to figure out. Like I was going to say, this entry into Braille really kind of, pushes the competition, doesn't it? And that kind of moves us into the rest of the bigger Braille dis display uh, discussion coming from CSUN this year. There seems to be some competition, you could maybe say to the bottom, not necessarily as far as technology or the ability of what these things can do, but for the pricing and making it more competitive, which really Braille displays is, is long overdue in need of, isn't it? We've been stuck at around $100 a cell for as long as I can remember. And obviously that makes it really prohibitive for Braille to still be viable as a technology with the importance of Braille for employment, for education. In my mind, it's vitally important that we have low cost Braille. So really cool, yes, to see this race to the bottom for price. Now, companies are learning the trade-offs, the challenges, the pitfalls. Of course, you might've heard about some of the challenges with the Orbit Reader 20, which is still destined to come back out this summer, but there's been some delays. Um, others have had similar uh, issues as well. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, this is the holy grail of Braille, is trying to get that affordable Braille display. As we move on to you know, technology is such a, a part of our daily lives. Getting that access to it through Braille would be amazing. I mean, we keep having the discussion about the death of Braille and, you know, voice synths taking over, but Braille is so important. And once we're able to get an affordable Braille display, I think we're going to see a bit of a turnaround. It's going to be a game changer. Exactly yeah, right. Absolutely. You know, and I think this is the year, we've been saying this for a little while, but this is honestly the year where the, the Canute towards the end of the year, they're doing pilot testing now, and hopefully it's going to be out by the end of the year. There are two or three others that are in stages of release that are either right about there or really close. So the Orbits one, the Braille Me was one out of India that kind of came out of nowhere and made a debut at the show uh, this year. Another one, 20 cells under 500 bucks. Uh, Why? The Dot Watch people are working on a full page uh, tablet called the Dot Pad. So there's a whole bunch of different options that we haven't even seen before. And that Dot Pad is actually kind of low tech, isn't it? There's not, not really anything electronic necessarily about it, right? Yeah, that's the impression I got. It does seem like it's a little further off from production and you know one of the things about some of these like the dot pad is the style of braille might be a bit different than what people are used to feeling so there's going to be some either trade-offs or getting used to for the types of braille cells and the types of braille dots that are being used on some of these no sean was talking about but a moment ago, when we always hear this conversation about the death of Braille and nobody really using it anymore, you know, what's the point? Do you think with all these different options coming out onto the market and being competitive, especially at these price points, you know, $500 or so for, for these displays, 
Do you think if, if, if it is true that there's some sort of mysterious death of Braille, do you think this is enough that could revitalize it? I think it is a major piece of that puzzle. It won't be the only thing. It's certainly going to require education from good teachers and professionals and others to make sure that Braille is still being taught to kids in schools, especially those with low vision, but they're going to lose their vision later in life. And, you know, the affordable displays, that's certainly one of the major roadblocks to affordable and good Braille, but it isn't the only one, but it certainly can't hurt. Now, you mentioned that the Canoe, obviously that was one of the major players. We were all looking out for that one at CSUN, I think. Um, was there anything out there that wasn't a like a, a one of the major players? Was there anything at CSUN other than that one that caught your eye that you thought, that's come out of nowhere and I like the look of that one? You know, I guess it really depends on what you're looking for. I think the Braille Me has a lot of potential. Um some of these things are a little rough around the edges when it comes to software. And you can tell the difference between, say, a new company that is bringing a Braille display to the market for the first time versus a large company like a Humanware or a VFO who has 20, 30 years of experience with Braille displays, some of the things yeah. that are in that. But, you know, these things will work themselves out over time if they want to remain viable. And I think a lot of them will. Absolutely. I think it's a good thing for the market. And I think, as you said, with the education there and, and the push to be more competitive in this space and get these prices pushed down as best as we can. Uh, I do hope that this is, is going to lead to a revitalization of Braille and Braille usage. So this, this is only good news, I think. Absolutely. So moving along then, JJ, let's talk about the different eyewear or wearable devices that were shown at CSUN. I know a lot of it probably wasn't brand new to us, but there were new versions of things. Of course, we saw the OrCam 2.0, we saw eSight 3. Talk to me about those, especially especially OrCam and, and other devices like that. What does this space look like this year? This is really interesting to me as well. It's another emerging space in a new category that only a couple years ago you had maybe the Jordy, and, and that's about it, and then starting with OrCam uh, beyond that. But the wearables come in a couple different forms. You have ones that are actual glasses that cover your entire face, that put you in a uh, an environment where your vision is being replaced by whatever the glasses are seeing. And then there are others that are more augmented reality where your vision is being supplemented by information from a camera. So you can do lots of different things depending on the device. Um, some of them are geared towards specific vision conditions. So that's definitely one of those things that you're going to want to test out before you do anything. And then they do other things like reading barcodes or reading print. Um, really interesting to me, the ideas. I think some of the solutions in that area are a little rough around the edges, but are probably more suited for low vision users, despite what they might try to tell you, because there's a lot of getting used to, you know, say if you don't know where a barcode is, if you're a totally blind person, these tools do not yet have guidance like you might find in the Seeing AI app to mm -hmm. kind of point you towards that barcode. So those little features are missing from a lot of these devices. Not that they couldn't be added later on, though. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the trouble, though. I mean, um, I've had this argument, let's say, a couple of times. You know, it's difficult. When you've got a smartphone where you can get lots of apps, like you mentioned, seeing AI, weighing up the price differences and the convenience, it does start to get tricky for wearables. Yeah, and a lot of these are not cheap devices. Um, OrCam 2, the 2.0, is coming in at $4,500, yeah. which is actually a 1000 more than the first one. Now, they've made 
it a little bit smaller. It's a little tiny uh, remote now as opposed to the bigger box that the previous version had. I and mean, obviously it's being improved over time, but you really have to be invested in that product and realize that you're going to be wearing it too. So it kind of goes into your looks and, and fashion and things like that, which I'm sure, you know, lots of people are still well very cognizant of yeah there's no reason we shouldn't be just because we're visually impaired you know that's absolutely. still a part of us so um absolutely yeah the orcam too it's gone wireless as well now isn't it it's the, the the wire has gone between that and the control. well yeah and that's kind of what i was referring to so it's a wire that comes out of the the new glasses but it kind of magnetizes to the remote uh panel now as opposed to more plugging in so yes it is a lot smaller and a little bit easier uh to carry around and they're still selling the original too if someone wants to go uh, that route. And for the extra money, is that the only big development that comes in 2.0 or what else is in there? That's the major thing. I believe the resolution might be a little higher as well. Um, that is certainly is the big selling point that they were pushing. Um, like I said, a few might be a few smaller hardware changes and um, in the future, there might be more differentiation, but so far they're just keeping both of them on the market. So for individuals that are maybe just visually impaired that can use something like an OrCam or an eSight compared to you were mentioning augmented reality or even virtual reality that some people with vision could use, but even augmented might still be able to give you some feedback about your surroundings. What, what kind of things are we looking at when it comes to with that type of device with augmented reality? Yeah, a lot of the same types of stuff is more of it's just how the information is presented. The devices that we looked at have very similar specs um, as far as the types of things that they will do. Most of them will do Objects of some sort, they will recognize faces. Now you have to give it the face the first time for it to do that. There's no automatic uh, pull from Facebook or anything like that. Um, they'll recognize text. They'll recognize barcodes. And uh, it's one of those things that you're really going to have to test these things out and see which ones uh, might work for you. We do a lot of uh, coverage. We've done a lot of podcasts from CSUN over at Blind Bargains. And we interviewed many of these companies. Uh, Shelly Brisbane is our low vision expert, and she did a lot of that. So you, people can go over to, um, to blindbargains.com and check that out and get some of our the deeper dives and hear from some of these companies. Absolutely. We definitely encourage people to check out everything they can at Blind Bargains. And we'll talk more about that here in just a moment. But when it comes to these augmented reality type devices and, and even the, the things like eSight and OrCam, we're such in an infancy, it seems like. We're, we're in a place where, yes, we're in 2.0, 3.0 of these devices, but it still feels like it's early days, especially the augmented reality, because that's just so brand new. What do you see the future of this being, if, if there is any? Where, where could this go? I think a couple of different things are going to happen. One, these devices are going to become smaller, more fashionable, and more powerful. These Many of these are mainstream devices, which is good for us in that they will become more affordable and that we're not the only market that's driving the development. I definitely also see at least a couple companies going toward the direction of making them more usable for a totally blind person, uh, finding ways to line up text or find barcodes, do other things, you know, some of those audio cues that would be necessary. I don't see every company going towards that market, but I'm sure a couple of them at least will try uh, to go down that road. And you know, as the software gets more powerful, you're going to have more features and more cloud connectivity. It's going to be pretty amazing in a couple of years. I think that is the point, isn't it? The, 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 the speed at which computer vision, object recognition, image recognition, whatever you want to call it, the speed at which it's progressing. I mean, I'm always amazed. And um, it just seems that that's what we're waiting for. The, the hardware is there. It's just the software. Exactly. 
imagine one of these tied into seeing AI or one of the other uh, vision uh, systems APIs that are out there and giving you feedback at the press of a button within like a half second of what's in front of you. You know, there really are some possible uses for this. And then it'll be up to the individual to decide if this is really going to help them in their daily life or if it's just a, a hindrance or a nuisance. I think that's what we're waiting on, to be honest. Um, I think that will be the next step, not just for us as visually impaired people, not just assistive tech. I think we're at stage now where having a camera from our point of view, you know, the, the video camera glasses, I think that's something we're going to move on to next anyway as the smartphone evolves. Uh, eventually, I think the smartphone will just disappear into glasses um, because it just seems to make sense. There's so many apps now where, you know, it feels strange to hold the camera up, especially with things like um, augmented reality that's, you know, being pushed by Apple. It seems that wearables, uh, specifically glasses, it just seems the next logical step to me. You know, Sean, I agree with that as far as the wearables for glasses go. And I'm, I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial. I think that you're going to see us step away from the phones, like you said, but maybe go to more the watch combination with the glasses. The better an Apple watch will say gets, uh, especially with accessibility built in, the faster the processor, the more that it can connect to cellular and GPS and the better the batteries get. You may find a day where the watch has replaced the phone and everything is bouncing from the watch to the glasses to get you the information back and forth and you don't really need the phone anymore. Uh, you've got the earpiece, you know, maybe in the back of the glasses, you can hear your phone conversations and you're getting that feedback from the camera. And, you know, I, I don't know. I just kind of see the wearables going that way. The form factor is definitely, I mean, who would have imagined people using five and a half and six inch phones four or five years ago? Well, there we are now. A lot of people are, are doing that, wouldn't have it any other way. But, you know, you're going to find new ways to experience that data. And luckily, the way smartphones are now with accessibility on iOS and Android and the way the glasses are being developed, we are coming along for this ride and not having to try to catch up 10 or 20 years later. So as new technology gets evolved in the mainstream, we're going to have new technologies for us as well. So that's really cool to see that parallel development. I've said it before. If, if there was any time in the world to be blind, if, if there was a good time to be blind, if that's a thing, yep. it, right now with the technology we have, this is the time. Uh, before we, we wrap up here in a moment, JJ, is there anything else that just really stood out to you with the show? Anything else that you want to make sure to mention? I was really impressed with some of the contributions from mainstream companies that we weren't even really looking for. Companies like Cisco bringing accessibility to their telephone systems for offices. Uh, HP had a box that would bring accessibility to some of their enterprise-grade printers. So these are types of things that are really needed for employment. A lot of times you have access with a screen reader to the consumer applications, to Microsoft Office or to email. But if you're trying to be on a job site, you need to be able to use the enterprise printer and the phone bridge and you know whatever other machines that are out there to fully function in an office environment. So having access to these types of tools is crucial uh, for increased employment, along with that Braille, of course. I think that's something that gets forgotten about sometimes. You know, uh, I didn't really think of the enterprise side of CSUN, but it is very important. Of course, employment is a big issue. And it makes a lot of sense for them. To, I mean, obviously, accessibility is the right thing to do, but enterprise apps and services generally command a bit more money as well. So <laughs> yes, the cool thing, you know, like the Cisco thing on their phones was really cool. It's not an additional cost or an add-on. It's a free software update for all of their phones. So, you know, of course, government needs to choose a lot of this technology anyway to be Section 508 compliant, which down here in the U.S. is a law that says that 
your tools and software and hardware needs to be accessible. Yeah. So they've now just given a whole bunch of agencies a really good reason to say, hey, choose our phones because that meets the requirement. And it's really nice to see that mainstream companies realize hey, CSUN's the place to be, because of course it's not just a blind convention. There's a lot of other things going on for other types of disabilities and for accessibility in general. So I'm really happy to see that, especially these last couple of years, you see so many mainstream companies stepping up and saying, yeah, we understand accessibility is important, not just because we have to, but because we just know that it's good policy, it's good business. And they're making sure to not only have that for their, their clients or customers, but for their employees and showing up at CSUN. I think that's a big deal. We may don't, we maybe get down on companies a lot for inaccessibility, but those companies that say, you know what? Yeah, we're going to show up and we're going to show you guys what we can do. I, I think that that sometimes gets lost, but it's very important to remember. The, the three companies I say with the biggest presence there are Google, Microsoft, and Amazon. Um, all big mainstream companies, all with a lot uh, to offer in a lot of different product areas. So, and they've been a big part of the show for the last three or four years and been growing and hopefully will follow us to Anaheim next year. Cause we are done with San Diego. <gasps> done with San Diego. So it's moving. It is moving to Anaheim uh, next year at a Marriott near Disney. So you can either go to the conference or you can go see Mickey or do both, I guess. <laughs> do both. Of um, course. It does, <laughs> it does help. I think for international uh, travelers, LA is a little easier airport as far as, you know, direct flights and things like that. So hopefully that'll help with the international attendance. Yeah. When I first saw that announcement, I was excited about it. And then I realized, Oh, that's going to be so much more expensive. Not necessarily the hotel, but because my family will want to go, we'll have to go to Disney and <laughs> other things to do in LA. It's like not that San Diego would have been cheap, but um, yeah, it's like I'm I'm gonna gonna definitely make sure to try to get out there next year, but. Boy, it's going to cost me a lot more. <laughs> right, JJ. Well, we've really enjoyed having you here. Before we let you go, I want to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit more about what you do and what Blind Bargains does, because you guys do a lot of really great work with your website, your, your podcast, and everything that goes on there. Uh, tell our listeners, if you could, just a little bit more about what Blind Bargains is all about. Sure. Well, it started as a site to get you uh, deals on things like memory cards and you know, computers and things like that. That's where the bargains come from. But we've since evolved quite a bit. Um, and our big focus now is our podcast. We've done over 600 now total over the past about nine or 10 years and do a lot of coverage at the show. So at CSUN, we had over 30 podcasts from myself and Shelly Brisbane and Joe Steinkamp interviewing everybody uh, from people at Amazon to these small companies doing uh, the wearables and the braille displays, but lots of other things as well. So that's all up on our website, blindbargains.com. And we do a weekly podcast called the Blind Bargains Cast, where we do a lot like what you guys do here, talking about technology, talking about other cool gadgets and stuff that's going on. And uh, people can do that. We also have apps uh, for iOS and Android that you can get as well. And we're on all the major podcast places and feeds, you know, wherever you find this podcast, I'm sure you can find us as well. It's Blind Bargains Cast with a Q. So if you just search for Blind Bargains, uh, that'll be the best way to do that or go to blindbargains.com. It's a lot of fun doing the podcast. It's really kind of cool to be up with the latest in, in technology and to play with some of the toys. And you're in a lucky position because just a couple of the names you mentioned there and how long you guys have been doing this. I mean, people know, at least if you've listened to blind related tech shows over the last many years, people know the Joe Steinkamps of the world and the Ricky Angers of the worlds. And yep. you know, they know these people from other podcasts, other shows, other places they've been, blogs they've done. So you guys have a good team there and, and you've been doing it for a while. So there's definitely some good credibility there and you guys know what you're doing. So we appreciate Absolutely. you uh, passing along some of that expertise with 
with us today and joining us to talk to us about CSUN. Thanks so much, JJ. Not a problem. We'll have to borrow you guys sometime for one of our shows. Absolutely. If I can go to Disney World, I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Thanks, JJ. Thank you.